welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Welcome to Awaken. Uh, we're really glad you could join us this morning. If we haven't met, my name is Eric. I'm the office manager here at Awaken. Uh, each morning, we always begin with a call to worship. Just an opportunity to center ourselves um, and reflect as we gather in this space. Um, one of the things that I find endlessly fascinating and that I was reflecting on this week is the places that the human spirit finds rest in the world around us. I don't know if anyone else woke up in the middle of the night earlier this week to the big storm that we had that rolled in. I didn't know there was going to be a storm. I woke up at like 3 a.m. My dog is hiding under the bed. And I was just blown away. It was just beautiful. And I just sat there for a while in the dark, listening to the rain, watching the thunder and the lightning. And I was struck again just by how one can experience so much peace in the midst of a storm like that. Um, I love the way that God draws the soul to find rest and peace in the midst of the wild and the untamed. Whether that be the wind and the lightning, whether that be the crashing waves of a beach, or just the silence and solitude of a forest trail. We are drawn to experience the presence of our wild and untamed creator and to find rest in those spaces. I found this idea echoed beautifully in a poem written by Wendell Berry entitled The Peace of Wild Things that I wanted to read this morning. When despair for the world grows in me, and I wake in the night at the least sound, in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water, and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things, who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water, and I feel above me the day-blind stars waiting with their light. For a time, I rest in the grace of the world and am free. As we gather to worship this morning, may we find peace amidst the wild things, amidst the sun and the moon, the breeze and the trees, even the heat of the summer, all the handiwork of the Creator. May this place that we gather be like still water for the soul, and may we find grace and rest in the presence of God all around us. All righty. All right, friends, if you want to make your way back to your seats, that'd be great. I think we've got seats for everybody. We got some folks in the back. To the balcony people, hi, nice to see you. Um, to the rest of you, my name's Micah, if we haven't met. So glad that you're with us. Um, welcome to Awaken. Um, if you are new, we would love to know that you are here. So in the seat pockets in front of you or online, if you go to our website, awakenwest7th.com, you can click the I'm New button there and fill that out. Uh, somebody from our team will reach out and invite you to a beverage of your choice. We'll get to know you. You can get to know us a little bit. Um, if you have tithes and offerings this morning, um, those and the cards can go in the black boxes if you fill them out here. They're at each of the exits. You can also give a number of different ways online. We're grateful for all of those gifts. Lots of things happening in the life of the church. want to let you know about a couple of them. Uh, first of which, there is a queer community gathering next Sunday. Nope, that's today, July the 30th. July 30th. Uh, that's happening at Como Park Mini Golf Course at noon, so you can head over there afterwards and get your mini golf on. I have a tee time at 2.40 on the other side of the city this afternoon, so uh, was I more excited about that or church today? It's a toss-up. i got to be honest with you. No, I'm just kidding. 
but maybe not. Um, there is also an artist mingle happening on August the 3rd, 7 p.m. That'll happen here at Awaken, so if you're interested in that, um, more information is online. I think there's a book study um, also uh, connected to the artists happening. So lots of things there. And then last but not least, Camp Create. So for the little ones among us, um, you might have noticed there's a garden outside over here on my left, your right. Lots of things growing in that garden right now. It is bursting with food. And um, Camp Create will be a garden adventure for the youngsters. That's um, August 7 to 11, so 9 to 11.30. Uh, our faithful gardening crew will work with our little ones on tending and tilling and harvesting food from the garden. So that sounds like kind of a lot of fun. Um, all that food, by the way, goes to um, a group of folks on Tuesday afternoons who basically just wander St. Paul and find folks where unhoused people gather, and um, all the food grown here is going to them this summer, which is really cool. Um, walking with a purpose, it's called. So that is that. If you have um, questions about anything that's happening at Awaken, the Awaken Weekly goes out every week uh, by email. All the details are in there, so make sure you subscribe to that. Smash the like button. Subscribe. Get some views. <laughs> All right. I am not a social media influencer. I'm a pastor, so I'm going to preach a sermon today. Um, we're going to continue in our series on the book of Nehemiah. If you are just joining us, we have been in this uh, for the last couple weeks. Uh, Nehemiah is a story about rebuilding. It's a story about uh, the loss of a home, the loss of hopes and dreams, and having to rebuild them or uh, recreate them, find them anew. And so um, if you are new, just to give you a sense of like, how did we get here? Uh, and if you've been with us, as a, as a reminder, um, if you want to throw that first slide up there for me, Gid, uh, there should be a little, there we are. The, the story of Israel in the, old, in the Bible could be summed up simply as the following. They begin with an exodus from Egypt. They leave Egypt, wander in the desert for a while where they are promised a land, a place to live. They make their way there uh, through the book of Joshua. And uh, upon finding themselves there, need a little help from a group of people called the judges. So the judges are like covenant watchdogs. They remind the people of the terms of the covenant and God's hopes and dreams and wishes for them. Reminding them like it's this way, not that way. Um, after which they ask for a king. God relents, God acquiesces, God accommodates their request. Not because God wanted to, but because they did. And gives them a king, and it doesn't take long before that kingdom to split. They, there's a kingdom in the south, uh, in the north, and in the south. Ten tribes in the north called Israel, two tribes in the south called Judah. 722, Assyria rolls into the northern kingdom, wipes them out. 586, Babylon rolls into Jerusalem, the southern kingdom, Israel, uh, Judah, and wipes them out. And it's that period of time before and during exile where we get the prophets, right? Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Micah, Obadiah, Amos. Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra and Nehemiah is one story, telling different parts of the same story. But if you can go to that next slide. Ezra tells this, the story of the rebuilding of the temple, right? So the actual place where the people of God would worship and, and, and have their church services, so to speak. And the bringing back of Torah into the life of the people. The book of Nehemiah, our study, tells the, the, the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem, Right? And then really the renewal or a, um, kind of a, a bringing back together the people in worship. And it doesn't end well, chapter 13, a little bit of a regression, but we're not there yet. So we are in chapter 3 of Nehemiah, and I would invite you to stand in body or in spirit for the reading of our text this morning. 
And uh, if any of you think that you could do what I'm about to do better, I would gladly sign you up next time because there are a lot of weird names to be pronounced. Wish me luck. Here we go. Eliashib, the high priest and his fellow priests, went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place. Building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananel, the men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zachar, son of Imri, built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hasanah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Merimoth, son of Uriah and son of Hakaz, repaired the next section. Next to him, Meshulam, son of Berechiah, the son of Meshabel, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, the son of Bana, also made repairs. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa. But their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work of their supervisors. The Jeshana gate was repaired by Joida, son of Pasiah, and Meshulam, son of Besodiah. They laid its beams and put its doors and their bolts and bars in place. Next to them, repairs were made by the men of Gibeon and Mizpah. Melatiah of Gibeon and Jadon of Maranoth, places under the authority of the governor of the trans-Euphrates. Uziel, son of one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section. And Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Rephahiah, son of Hur, ruler of the half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section. Adjoining this, Jedidiah, son of Haramoth, made repairs opposite his house. And Hattush, son of Hashpaniah, made repairs next to him. Melchijah, son of Harim, and Hashub, son of... Are you guys having fun? (laughs) Pahuth and Moab repaired another section of the Tower of the Ovens. It's a great name. Shalom, son of Halahesh, ruler of the Hass district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. Skip to chapter 4. The rest of chapter 3 just goes on for a very long time, saying basically the same thing. Chapter 4 opens, When Sanballat heard they were rebuilding the wall, he became angry, was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria. He said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from the heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their heads. Give them over as plunder in the land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. And so we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all of their heart. Pray with me. God, this morning we gather in this place with all kinds of things in our hearts and minds and lives and souls. And I pray that you would gather us up from the four corners of our, of our earth, from our world, and that you would unite us, that you would bring us together under one spirit, one idea, um, a love that changes us and the world that we live in. Um, remind us of who we are and whose we are, I pray. In the strong name of Christ, by the power of the Spirit, the church said together, 
Amen. You may be seated. Whew. I practiced that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, it's quite a story, quite a list there. Uh, here's what I want to do today. I actually want to go backwards. I want to start where we ended, and I want to work our way back to where we started. So we're going to start in chapter 4, and we're going to work our way back into chapter 3. And these two chapters, really, uh, as I mentioned, they, begin, they tell the, the beginning of the building of the wall in earnest, right? Before, we've, we've seen uh, Nehemiah grieve and mourn when he heard the news. We saw him pray uh, and find uh, a real clarity in his invitation to rebuild the wall, a boldness in asking the king for supplies and safe travel back to Jerusalem, uh, uh, standing firm in the, in the face of opposition, Sanballat and Tobiah. And now we begin the rebuilding of the wall itself. Um, so we're going to start where we ended, and I want to begin with the question, and that question is, what is the opposition to our work, and what do you do when you face it, or how do you respond to it? If you look in chapter 4, uh, we see Sanballat and Tobiah. These are the two kind of foils to, uh, they're the enemy, they're the opposition to Nehemiah and the work. And we see them begin to chide and poke and uh, ridicule the work of the people, Nehemiah and his leadership, and the wall that's being rebuilt. You know, Tobiah offers that classic, you know, um, line of a fox will even, you know, crumble this wall that you've rebuilt. I mean, we've heard that one a hundred times, right? Think of something a little more unique. Um, but they, they do. They, they poke fun and they ridicule Nehemiah and his work. And last week we talked about this idea of the reality of opposition, uh, the presence of opposition. When you stand where Jesus stands and you are with the people Jesus was with, I would suggest to you that you are going to face opposition when you do that kind of work. Nehemiah senses an invitation to go back to the city of his ancestors and to rebuild the walls, the city of Jerusalem. Uh, and in doing so, he's mocked and ridiculed and actively opposed by a group of powerful people. Remember, right, this is the southern kingdom of Judah, this is the capital city of Jerusalem. The Babylonians have come and invaded the city. They have waged war on the city, and they have taken captive all of the people and taken them back to Babylon. These people are uh, Israelites, right, from the kingdom of Judah, but they are now conquered and enslaved, living at the bottom rung of the ladder in society. They are forcibly displaced refugees under the thumb of an occupying government. This is a story that's still being told in our world today, yeah? These are, and, and the reason I, I, sh I say all that is I want you to see that like these are the equivalent, these people are the equivalent of Jesus' day of the Samaritans and the prostitutes, and the tax collectors, and those who have been forced to the edges and the margins, which we find Jesus with often, nearly all the time, that's who the people of Israel have become, right? And so Nehemiah comes to their aid as being one of them, risen to power in a, in a, in a, in a foreign land. He comes to their aid, and in doing so, he is opposed by those who hold power. 
And I would suggest, and I think scripture bears witness to this, I would argue that the history of the church and and those uh, faithful followers of Jesus would also agree that when we stand with Jesus and where Jesus stood, we'll face opposition. When we do the work of the kingdom, we do it in a world that opposes that work. And so it would follow that we will find ourselves opposed. When we work for light and life and justice and the repair of that which is broken, we will find opposition from those for, who, who benefit from that system. It makes perfect sense if you think about humans and how they work. So a question for us as we begin this morning, and that question is, what is it, or what is and from where do you sense opposition when you are involved in the work of the kingdom? As an individual, from where and from whom do you sense opposition when you're doing the work of Jesus in the world? As a community, when we gather and we say yes to the work of the kingdom, where do we see opposition? Now, before um, we sort of paint everything that's against, uh, not for us as against us, right, and we make it sort of binary, either or, I'm reminded of a guy named Jerry Pipes. Jerry was a, a, an older gentleman, an elderly fellow in the church I grew up in uh, called Grace Church Roseville, and Jerry was a real class act. He drove a classic car that he'd restored, and he was kind of the, the friend to all. Jerry was like cool with the elderly folks. The kids loved him. All the young families thought Jerry was great, and even the teenagers. So I, as like a 15-year-old, had a relationship with Jerry Pipes, and he would come up to me and ask me how I was doing every now and again on Sunday, and one day he did. And he said, Micah, what are you reading these days? It's a great question for a 15-year-old, right? A <laughs> 15-year-old boy, not to mention. Well, it just so happened I had gotten my hands on a fresh copy of This Present Darkness. A real class, a real class act, right? Uh, the prequel to Piercing the Darkness by one Frank Peretti. How many of you have read that book? All right, okay. I'm not alone here. Uh, if you go to the thrift store, you will likely find in the religious section a copy of the Left Behind series, and you may very well find a copy of This Present Darkness and Piercing the Darkness. This was a novel, think like spiritual horror, mystery, demons and angels, right? It was all about spiritual warfare. And it's this, I, I read the, the, the recap of it as I was like about to tell this story, and I'm like, oh my gosh, what a bizarre plot line, you know? And uh, I was way into it. It was all about spiritual warfare and demons and angels and what they looked like and how they acted in the world and this whole like spiritual realm that we couldn't see. A real, uh, for a kid with an active imagination, it was a real engager. And Jerry Pipes said to me, now Micah, don't you go looking for the devil under every rock because you're liable to find him. I thought, wow. I had no idea what he was talking about at 15. <laughs> It's like, oh, okay. But as I've reflected on that comment, I think there's some wisdom from Jerry Pipes. And the wisdom is, you guys know that, that, or have you met people for whom, like, everything is spiritual? You know, they don't get a parking spot, and it's like the work of the devil. Or they get a headache, and they're like, oh, the demons are after me. We got to fast and pray, which will only exacerbate your headache, by the way. You should drink water and take Advil, Okay. <laughs> But everything is spiritual, right? And like every single thing comes down to like angels and demons and this and that and the other thing. Oftentimes there people say like, these folks are so concerned with heaven, they're of no earthly good. You ever heard that phrase before? I want to walk a fine line between these, two bi- between these two poles, right? On the one hand, total oblivion and naivete to the fact that we live in a world where there is love and there is hate. 
There are forces of evil and there are forces of good. And there are people and beings that, that embody those things, right? So you, to live just completely oblivious and naive to that reality is not wise. To also live on this side where everything is spiritual and everything's demons and angels and, the, you know, like, it all comes back to that. And it's like, well, actually, therapy might help you in this case. Not, not anything else, <laughs> all right? Uh, that is also foolish, okay? So I want to walk a fine line, and I want to remind us this morning that we live in a world that have agents, people, and other things that are uh, either aligned with love and light and life or not, aligned with evil and darkness and, and uh, things that uh, tear down the work of God in the world, right? Scriptures bear witness to this fact over and over and over again. Paul says, this, that was the whole premise of the book, this present darkness, that we fight not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. That there is a world, hap- there's, there are things happening all around us that we can see and cannot see, and there is a, a struggle that is happening in, in our world. Do you sense that in your own life? Where like you watch the news and you're like, gosh, there's just more death and more, more darkness and more evil. Like, and, and we want to be people of light and of life and of hope and, and resurrection. And I want to just begin this morning by reminding us that when you stand where Jesus stood and you say yes to the life of the kingdom, that you will likely run up against opposition at some point, probably very soon. And so you should be not only aware of that fact, but you should be prepared for that. You should be readied for that. I'm going to talk in a a little bit about some of the things happening at Awaken. We have a prayer team. We need more people praying. I said a couple weeks ago, it doesn't come naturally to me. It comes naturally to a lot of you. You, We need you praying. We need to be aware, eyes open, totally clear about what's happening around us, right? We live in this world, and it's not Pollyanna, you know, rainbows and unicorns. And we're working for life. We're working for hope. We're working for light. We're working for forgiveness and restoration and rebuilding and, restor- and, and, and the repair of that which is broken. Amen? That's the kingdom. That's what we're doing here. So there will be opposition. What does it look like in your own life? Do you see it? Are you ready for it? Not only that, but how do you respond? I love chapter 4, verse 4 and 5 and 6. Tell Nehemiah's response. And you'll notice two things. Number one, Nehemiah recognizes that some things are his to hold and some things are not. Nehemiah surrenders the, the desire, the, 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 the ability, or the action to take vengeance, to settle the score. Notice what he says in verse four, chapter 4, verse 4. Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Immediately, he surrenders the desire to take vengeance action, to to get vengeance, to settle the score on his own. I would submit to you that Nehemiah knows the wisdom that there are some things for us to hold and there are some things for God to hold. And I would argue that vengeance and settling the score is always the divine responsibility. It is never our responsibility. He also doesn't let them off the hook, right? His prayers are like, Bring justice, God. Don't blot out their transgressions. Don't wipe it away. Like, hold them accountable for what they're doing. And I would submit, I would say to you, like, that's okay for you to desire that, for you to pray that. Read the Psalms for crying out loud, right? But there is a moment when we stand, if we're opposed and evil or or something uh, is challenging what you're doing, and you can respond in the way of Jesus, which is the way of peace, 
and of nonviolence. Resistance, yes, but nonviolent resistance. Or you can take action. You can pick up a sword and you can... And I would just suggest to you, I'll make a statement, and this is my opinion, you don't have to agree with it, but I don't think you can read the Gospels and take Jesus seriously and come to any other conclusion than nonviolent pacifism. That's my conviction. You don't have to go all the way with me to that, but I would at least invite you to consider the wisdom of Nehemiah, which is to surrender what is not his to God, vengeance and violence, and to... And to resist peacefully, right? He continues to do the work to rebuild the city. So, as we begin this morning, long, in, long intro, long opener. Do you know the opposition that we face? Do you see it? Are you aware of it? Are you present to it? And how do you or how will you respond? Part of our, uh, the last year of our life as a church, as a community, we continue to invite you and to invite us, to invite me, to respond in kind, gracious, compassionate, generous, humble ways. Because that's the way of Jesus. And so if you follow this Jesus, then I would just ask you to consider that wisdom in your own life and for us as a community, right? So let's make our way backwards to where we began. Briefly, the noblemen of Tekoa. Did anybody notice that past that, that verse in chapter 3? Verse 5, it says the next section, so in the, in the section where it lists all the people who were participated in the wall, says the men of Tekoa. Uh, the next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors, under their lord, some of your translations may say. Not God, Nehemiah is the reference there. Um, the Hebrew connotation there is like they wouldn't put their necks underneath the work. If you think of like a beast of burden, you put them under a, uh, what do you call that, a yoke, right? They wouldn't put their neck under the yoke of the work, under Nehemiah's leadership. Um, here's an all-play question for those of you who are new to Awaken. I'm going to ask a question. I would love for you to shout out your response. Um, I won't hold you to it. Likely no one will know who you are because uh, they can only see the backs of your heads. To those of you joining us online, hello, nice to see you. Um, the question is this. Why would the nobles of Tekoa not participate in the work of rebuilding the wall? Okay, manual labor. What else? Why would the nobles not participate in the work? Okay, we got, this is, this is popping. Over here. Too good for it. Pride, lazy, they benefit from the current system, they don't know how, <laughs> yes, say it again, they would expect others to do it for them, maintaining appearances, they don't think it'll work. Say it again. They don't want to. That is right, Winona. From the mouths of babes. Um, we don't know why the noble men of Tekoa don't rebuild the wall. There's no reason given in Scripture. We are only left with our imaginations, which is kind of a fun place to be. What is it about nobles? What is it about those who are on the upper rings of the ladder? 
Why wouldn't they put their hand to the plow? We can, of course, like surmise some reasons. We can, you know, imagine some reasons why they wouldn't have. But it's fascinating to me. Well, interestingly, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, they're all given a place from where they're from. Here's one theory by people that study this kind of thing. Um, Sanballat is a Samaritan from the north. Tobiah is from Amman to the east. Uh, Geshem is an Arab from the south. Any guesses where Tekoa is? Near one of those places in the south. So if you know anything about like politics, uh, the Game of Thrones, it may be that the noblemen of Tekoa are playing the Game of Thrones. And they're, trying, they're, they're hedging their bets as to whether or not this is going to work. That's one theory. Um, regardless of why, it's fascinating to me, the entire chapter of Nehemiah 3 is devoted to the names of those who participated in the work of God to rebuild the city of God, including those who didn't. The only commentary I'll make on that is that it matters. It matters. Thousands of years later, we're recounting, we're reading the story of those who helped rebuild the city and those who didn't. Like, what you do matters. The choice that you make with your life and the resources and the talent and the passions that you have, that you are responsible for, it matters. So I want to I close this morning by reminding you in chapter 3, everybody has a part to build. Everybody has a section to build the wall, in the wall. Uh, there's nobody left out. Like, if you noticed, if I read that entire list, you would find that there are different families and tribes from different places. They're from the city, they're from the country, they're poor, they're rich. Um, there are artists and builders and metal workers and perfume makers. They make the list, the perfume makers. Uh, there are priests and church workers, there's merchants and business owners, there's sons of so-and-so and there's daughters of so-and-so. Everybody is included, kids as well. Get in on this act, kids. There were kids who helped build the wall, right, to rebuild the city. Paul in the New Testament brings this, this idea forward when he's talking to the church in Corinth, and he says, the body of Christ, the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you, or the ear can't say to the eye, I don't need you. No, the, whole, the, the, the work of God needs the entirety of the body to do the work that they're being called to. This is a picture of Nehemiah's wall. If you want to throw that picture up there, Gid. If you notice the dot in the top there, that's the start. And it goes all the way around the entire ancient city of Jerusalem. It includes the whole thing. It's inclusive. It's, to it's like total. It's uh, comprehensive. And it involves the whole thing. There's nothing left out. To the church gathered at Awaken this morning... I'll end with this. We are rebuilding in a sense. Uh, we are in a season. Uh, we've just emerged from a pandemic, in case you've forgotten that. Maybe, uh, sorry to remind you. Um, we recently have exited a partnership and friend, family that we were a part of for 13 years. And we are beginning a new season of our life as a church. And I want to remind you that the staff of this church and the leadership of this church have, are more excited than we have been in a very, very long time about the direction and the life and the vitality that we're seeing at Awaken. Um, 
the places and the things that we feel God is inviting us to, and we believe, I believe, that we're going to need everybody to build this thing called Awaken. Uh, we're not leaving anybody out. So this is Pastor Micah, right? I'm wearing black today. Uh, this is my collar, if you will. I know it's a V-neck from Target, but uh, it's about as close as I get to a collar. This is Pastor Micah at Awaken saying to you all to ask the Lord, what section of the wall will you be building? What part will you play? To stand up and be counted and like the prophet, say, here I am, Lord, send me. If you call Awaken home, you're included. We're not leaving anybody out. Kids, to the oldest here. And the hope is that we will, we will continue to build a place where all the people can come and experience the love of God full stop. Amen? Where all the people can come, all the birds of the field can come and find home and nests in this thing that was once a mustard seed that is now a giant place of home, of rest. That all the people will be, will be able to come and find living water at the well that's called Awaken. Amen? So, a couple of reminders. Uh, this last year, in case you weren't at the annual meeting, we passed a budget at Awaken that is a huge leap. It's 20% more than any budget we've ever passed, which previously was a leap. Last year's budget was, uh, was a stretch that we didn't think, we, didn't, we weren't sure. And you guys smashed it. You like the, like the subscribe button. You smashed it. And, and like you funded it. And that's to be celebrated by you, like this group of people right here. You stood up into that. And so the staff and our leadership team and those who lead on your behalf are like, okay, Lord, where do you, where do you have us going? So we've taken some gigantic, bold steps. We've said to the king of Persia, we need an escort back to rebuild the city. And we need you to provide the timbers and everything, right? That's a bold request. We've said, God, we, we believe this is where you're calling us to go. So I, I want to encourage you, if you call Awaken Home and you're not involved in our life financially, to get involved. We're going to need everybody on the bus uh, over the next four to five weeks. Like, it's hard to believe that, like, fall's creeping up or it's coming around the corner. And you're going to be hearing from people at Awaken each Sunday just highlighting and reminding you of, like, all the wonderful things that are happening in our church to sort of put in front of you so that you don't forget some of the things that are happening. Uh, here's a few things we're excited about this fall. Are you ready? I, I, I had to cut my list short. Um, Trevor and I are working on a confirmation program for our high school students for the first time in the life of our church, 13 years. So high school students, we're working on a confirmation program for you. It's going to be great. I'm super excited about it. I haven't taught confirmation since I was a youth pastor. Holy buckets. I'm teaming up with Trevor. Saddle up, partner. Look, Harry, more hitchhikers. Pick them up. Uh, Kathy is hoping to start three more life groups this fall, of which we already have like 16 life groups. So Jenna is working on the Benevolence Fund, taking that to the next level. She's also working on spiritual formation. Jane left about a year and a half ago. That's been idle. Jenna's working on putting that thing back together, breathing some life into it. Eric, who did our call to worship, he's like got the Midas touch. Everything he touches turns to gold around here. Like, well done on that hire, Jenna. Good job. I had nothing to do with it, in case you were wondering. But Eric's just killing it. Uh, Trevor, full-time youth and tech director. Like, separate programs for junior high and senior high for the first time in the life of our church. This is super exciting. Uh, Sarah, 
full-time kids community director, right? Spent this last year listening and learning. Now she's like dreaming and, and moving, right? Taking our kids community to the next level. Those of you who have kids around here, lucky you. Uh, our missional team, developing current partnerships and like listening and exploring new ones. We're in a cohort with uh, the Riverside Innovation Hub out of Augsburg College. They'll walk with us over the next two years, a small group of us, to like ask questions about what does it mean for us to be neighbor in this place so that we can then send you out as neighbors in your place. That's happening right now. We're develop we've developed six formational targets for spiritual formation at Awaken. That's going to be our fall series. Around like, like if we're aiming at something, what is it? All right? Um, intergenerational relationships with our second half of life folks. Skip is working with the prayer team to take prayers of the people and make a book available to you. Friends, I'm telling you, there is like, I'm working on an urban Camino as a part of the confirmation program. That will be something for all the people, right? So we're going to walk the city with a justice lens. Do you want me to keep going? I'm telling you, friends, we're cracking around here. It's popping. And I want you to leave this morning with a burning question, and that question is, what part of the wall are you building? A lot of times, church ends up being a consumer product situation where people come and they consume a product and the folks up here just are content creators and the dispensers of content and, and, and services and products for the people. I reject that categorically. That is not the church. That's American capitalism and I'm not interested in doing that here. It has a place but that's not it. This is a spiritual community. We've been given a gift and, uh, that is the gospel, which is good news for all the people. And we've been invited to participate with God, the creator of the world, the one who breathed life into all the things around you. You know the peas that are on the plants out there and the cucumbers that are growing? Whoever came up with that is in us and invited us to be out in the world doing good and bringing life and hope and justice and love to our neighbors. So if you're not excited about that, you can get excited about something else. Go, fine. But if you want to be in on this, we're going to need all the people to build the wall, to build the well, to build this thing that we call Awaken. Are you with me now? Many of you have given sacrificially sweat, blood, and tears over the years to make Awaken what it is. To you, to us, thank you. We see you. We're grateful for you. Keep going. Thank you. To those of you who are just finding this community, we're going places. We are on the move. We're following the divine presence who breathed life into the world. And that is an adventure. That is a caper of epic proportion. And we want to invite you to it. So what section of the wall are you building at Awaken? That's my question that I want you to leave with today. <sighs> I need a sweat rag. Oh, I'm going this way now. Uh, would you pray with me as we pause and consider this question? God, we thank you for this day. I thank you for this church. I thank you for all of the ways in which you have been faithful over the years at Awaken. The stories we could tell, all oh, the places that we've gone, and all oh, the places we will go together. Okay, friends, uh, this is my friend Genesis. Can you say hi? Actually, the daughter of Andrew, who just slayed it on that last song. Um, 
Yep. So we almost ran out of communion bread, but Genesis was on the on the case, so we had enough. Right? Good job. Um, friends, there's a story in the Gospels about a woman who has very, very little. We know her as the, the widow's mite. She comes with next to nothing, and she gives because she wants to participate in the story. And we remember her. Her story is told. And so I want to just remind you, wherever you've come from this morning, um, whatever you have, right, uh, if it's not much, the invitation is to participate in the story, to give what you can. If it's a really, really small section of the wall, if it's just like one window with some trim, we'll take it. Uh, if you can lead a team of 100 to build 20 sections of the wall because you work for Medtronic and do spreadsheets all day long, great, we'll take it. Give what you can and participate in the story. And together, I have every reason to believe that we will have exactly what we need because that's always the way it's been in 13 years of church here. So this is a, this is, a, I hope you don't hear guilt or shame. I hope you hear opportunity to get involved in the good story that's being written. That's the gospel. So let's do it. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the church said together, amen. Grace and peace, friends. See you next week. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.